Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. We're going local here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin for today's Spirit in Action with an issue and a solution that is undoubtedly nationwide. Folks everywhere deal with a wide range of mental health challenges, and there is a multitude of solutions and coping strategies out there. But there is a particularly inspirational one that I've witnessed on the ground here and got connected with via my friend Jim Schonsberg. The Wellness Shack provides both formal and informal peer support to people with a wide range of mental diagnoses, all services provided for free, and the peer support is a super valuable addition to all the other options available to those dealing with mental illness. We'll let the director of the Wellness Shack, Bob Schrader, explain to you how the whole thing works. Let's head right into a small conference room at the Wellness Shack so I can speak to Bob Schrader face-to-face. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you for inviting me. So how long have you worked here with the Wellness Shack? I've been involved with the Wellness Shack for 10 years. I started coming here as a volunteer and member in May 2010. And what's your background that got you here? I had just graduated with a master's degree in vocational rehabilitation, and I was looking for volunteer experiences that would help me to land a job. Because the Wellness Shack specializes in peer support type work, I think that makes it different. It's not the typical hierarchy, maybe, of a therapist or psychologist, psychiatrist working with people. Not that people don't have that same talents, but how is the focus here different than what would happen if someone just went to one of the places in town for therapy? Well, that's the thing that I think is what makes the Wellness Shack so successful, is that we operate on a level playing field. Even though I have a degree in vocational counseling, people here don't know that. They know me as being a member. They know that I live with chronic depression and anxiety and that I have a lot of experience in my personal life that they can relate to. So it's level playing field where nobody is more special or more sick or more professional than any any other person. We're all the same. We're all coming from the same place. So when someone is a certified peer specialist, does that in some way separate them? You've got a couple people on staff who occupy that. And of course, you're both director and a certified peer specialist. The certification process is is really so that it can identify a person who has been trained in the qualities of peer support and have gone through and been certified that they know what they're doing. (laughs) They have a more in-depth approach to being able to work with people. We learn to have a couple tricks up our sleeve, motivational interviewing, helping people to design a care plan for themselves, de-escalation, a person in crisis. And so the certification is more to impress the outside people looking in that we have trained staff who know what they're doing. 
there's actually two types of peer support that happen here. There's the formal peer support provided by a peer support specialist, but more importantly, there's the informal peer support where it happens in meetings, it happens out in the common area where two people are just sitting next to each other and they're talking about how their day's going, what they're struggling with, what's happening to them. That type of informal peer support is really just one person being a human being to another person, just being compassionate. And it goes a long way. I'm really amazed at this idea. One of the things I've kind of lamented in our society is that we have created professional positions for things that people just used to do for each other, for friends and neighbors. Is that part of the seed that started the Wellness Shack? I think so. Back in 2003, five people went to be trained in peer support specialists at the training at that time. And they came back to the general support group and it impacted the group where it just literally exploded to be a huge number. I am not sure what the history is, but a lot of people were interested in attending that meeting. And so it was decided that they would spin off from the current organization they were in, Nami Eau Claire. They would spin off and develop their own place where this could be something that happens every day. And you mentioned NAMI, which uh, I forget what the acronym stands for. I know it stands for mental health stuff, but National Alliance for Mental Illness. Mental Illness. Okay. So NAMI still exists. Yes. But this is a specialized subgroup or a related function? Well, there's a difference in philosophies. The way I see it is that uh, NAMI is about the supporters of people with mental illness. So the parents and the spouses looking to see how they can help their child, how they can advocate for their friend or relative. Whereas Wellness Shack is a peer-to-a-peer, again, level playing field. They're from the same process. It's not somebody in place of authority talking down to somebody with a condition. That's one of the things we try to do with people who come here is to help them to realize that they're not their diagnosis, okay? They have so much more going on with them. They still have their talents. They still have their abilities. They still have what they believe in, what they dream for, their hopes. That all still exists, but just because you got a diagnosis doesn't mean that goes away, that I have to live my life differently. It means that I have a condition that makes me different from other people. It doesn't make me defective. It only makes me different. And so I talk about we bring people in here and we bring them from being defective to becoming affective. And when you recognize you're affective, you also become effective, right? Correct. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of the things that I wonder about in our society is it appears to me that perhaps the amount of something we might call mental illness, dysfunctions of some sort, whether it's depression or addiction or something, that seems to have grown over the centuries. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's a function of how our society is fragmented or gotten so much more busy or focused on different things. But I suspect that certain elements of it at least have increased significantly. There's a book, by the way, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Bob, called Death World, Wisconsin. 
Oh. And it's collects all these articles and such from Wisconsin newspapers. And it's from, you know, 150 years ago. And it's it's amazing all of the problems that we had, but I don't think we carry those forward in our consciousness. We we think people might have been tough pioneers, but you know it was hard living on the frontier, and mm-hmm. you didn't have the supports there that a lot of other people had. So what I'm partly saying is I don't know if we really know if there's been increase or change, but you possibly have access to numbers that make things more clear. I've talked with counselors, professional counselors about this. And yeah, I think that the demands our society is putting on us has been a cause for the increase in mental illness. Expectations are higher. The stress level for our work, being productive and efficient is higher. And there's just so much. Our society is growing to a point where it's becoming harder for a person to be human compassionate to live life when they're facing all these other challenges that attack the mental health of a person. Now, I noticed via the website for wellnessshack.org that there are a whole number of different groups. Again, peer support is the center of it, but there's the proactive recovery group, the general support group, dual diagnostic recovery Bipolar support group, schizophrenia support group, anxiety and depression support group. Did I miss any? I think yeah. you got them all. Is there any that's specifically about addiction? The dual diagnosis group. Because a dual diagnosis is a condition where mental illness and a substance use disorder occur simultaneously, whether it's drugs or alcohol. And it's complicated because the two interplay on each other. And so Hazleton, um, two of the counselors there, with the permission of AA, used the AA 12 steps and refined it to include mental illness. And in my case, with depression, I first experienced depression when I was 12 years old. When I was 16 years old, I experienced the relief I got when I drank alcohol, when I drank a beer. And so at the age of 16, I started self-medicating my depression. My depression hadn't even been diagnosed yet, because back in the 70s, we didn't talk about that stuff. And so I learned and over the years reinforced that self-medication towards my condition. And so the 12 steps of dual recovery help a person to not only evaluate how the alcohol is physically and socially restricting them, but also how it is affecting the medications. And it looks, you know, it provides opportunities for a person to go through the 12 steps and to realize that they have assets that they can use that they don't have to start, they don't have to use the alcohol anymore. And they also learn how to manage their mental health condition so there's not the need or the craving to use alcohol anymore or drugs, I guess. So that's how the dual diagnosis, the dual issue. Yeah, it's a dual issue. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I imagine it happens with other diagnoses as well. I mean, you could certainly have schizophrenia along with 
bipolar, schizophrenia and bipolar. <laughs> Does that is that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> or maybe schizophrenia kind sometimes, of shadows. Sometimes they're very close because a person can go into a bipolar episode where they enter into psychosis, which then starts fitting into all the descriptions of schizophrenia. But yeah, yeah, it can be any mental illness. Bipolar, uh, a friend of mine, schizophrenia, we went through AA together, and he struggled because, you know, admit that your life is unmanageable and crazy. Well, he knew exactly what crazy was because <laughs> he hallucinates. And it freaked out his sponsor because his sponsor wasn't ready to deal with the mental health side of the coin of this guy's alcohol and drug use. So Dual Recovery Anonymous, a national program, allows for the group to start processing the stuff through the 12 steps to channel how to get the two to work together. Does that mean that addiction doesn't happen without another diagnosis connected with it? I have never thought about that before. <laughs> Which can or the egg. <laughs> I mean, maybe people can just really enjoy the effects of alcohol without having a need for it because they don't have an underlying diagnosis that makes them receptive. Maybe that's... Yeah, it's the, the definition of how a person becomes an addict or an alcoholic is still being investigated. But it's that one moment when somebody decides whether it's, it's bipolar, whether it's schizophrenia, whatever, I'm in pain, I'm going to use this to make my pain go away. Some people never have that moment. So they can be social drinkers. And because the addiction hasn't made that connection yet. So in answer to your question, no, not everybody who has a mental illness has a substance use problem, and not everyone with a substance use problem has a mental illness. But there is a population of people where the two of those link together. And it becomes a process of having to to work through your mental illness characteristics and your drug or alcohol abuse characteristics and sort out until you can get to a point where you've got a plan for moving forward. So you, you mentioned it's part of your own experience, Alcoholics Anonymous, and there's, of course, Narcotics Anonymous and lots of other such anonymous uh, <laughs> based on the 12-step groups. Mm-hmm. AA and 12-step groups are essentially self-help groups. I guess maybe they, they fit the mode of peer support. How are they different? Yeah, I mean, if you look at peer support in general, AA is probably one of the oldest current examples of peer support. In the situation, though, you're asked to find a sponsor, so the, the inductee has a sponsor who starts to one degree or another helping the person decide what they're going to do with their life, okay? There's a lot of room in there for a person to become controlling over somebody who is vulnerable. And so it doesn't always work out in the best for the individual. My experience with AA is, you know, I had two, three great sponsors, but talking about my depression, talking about my anxiety was outside the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous because they only deal with the alcoholism. 
And my depression never went away after seven and a half years. It's, I'm still depressed. So what am I doing wrong? You know, I'm gone over all the steps two, three, four times. I've read the big book cover to cover twice. What am I doing? And all of a sudden it, it turned in on me. I must be, something must be wrong with me. Then I get involved in the wellness shack and find out, okay, figure out what your triggers are, develop a care plan, how to take care of yourself with when an episode comes on, and then try to stay away from your triggers. Okay, so we teach people to recognize what their symptoms feel like. So when the symptom is coming on early on, they can turn to a care plan that they've written down that gives them steps to take to care about themselves, not to, like myself, judging myself, what's wrong with me, that I'm, I'm going through depression again, I shouldn't, you know, no. In mental health recovery, we don't look for abstinence of the disorder. What we look for is how to manage and move forward and live independently, making our own decisions and taking care of ourselves when we need care the most. One of the things about Alcoholics Anonymous, right in the name, is the anonymous part. It has to be confidential. I assume there's confidentiality related to the wellness shack as well. Yeah, we try to maintain the same confidentiality level as AA or NA does. Uh, a lot of people will only sign their first name when they sign in, coming into the building when they sign in, or if you know, their first name and last initial. So what I've been trying to do, what we've been trying to do here is get people to realize that confidentiality is actually respecting the other individual. And something as simple as saying, well, that's their story to tell can keep a lot of people from gossiping or spreading information around that people have shared during the meeting. And so that's, we try to maintain that level of confidentiality, but it's not dogma. <laughs> it's not a rule here that people are forced to observe or influenced to observe. It's just generally known that if I respect the other people here, I won't talk about them. Yeah, I noticed via the website in terms of staff that those of you who are certified peer specialists have your full name there, but you've got a whole number of volunteers who are just listed with their last mm -hmm. name as an initial. Again, is that how you deal with the confidentiality? Is that because you have a degree that should be brought into the process that makes it important to know who your full name is? Part of becoming a peer support specialist is that you agree to disclose your personal history, your personal struggle, when it's appropriate. So in this case, we're not afraid to use our last names because usually somebody who gets into peer support isn't afraid to talk about it in the open public. <laughs> There's an interesting story about Dr. Bob and Bill W. being at a AA meeting and everybody left and it was just them and they needed a ride or needed a hotel room, a ride to their hotel or something. They couldn't call anybody because they knew nobody's last name. <laughs> so they were stranded. There are pros and cons to being known <laughs> or not known. But it feels to me like in some way the wellness shack, because it's removing the stigma 
of mental illness, which makes sense considering I think the way that Lenny Bruce said is we're all the same schmuck. We've all got our strong Mm -hmm. and our weak points, and so none of us is lowly clean. So I think the fact that the Wellness Shack is working with peer support means that there's no shame in it. We're all just helping each other, arms up. One of the best descriptions I heard from Antildenus is everybody's got their quirks. Everybody will agree with that. You know, everybody's got their quirks, but it's when your quirks start interfering with your job or your relationship or your personal health that it becomes something we need to look at. And for lack of better words, illness becomes the thing. There's mental health, so if you're not healthy, the opposite of that is ill, so they call it mental illness. We work to try to eliminate the illness part of it. We say mental health disorders or psychiatric disorders or psychiatric challenges. Or just mental quirkiness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That could work for you, maybe. Yeah. My wife is a psychotherapist. And, of course, what she does is confidential, but I, of course, understand a lot of the broad lines about it. I don't know the DSM-5, all the categories in there, but I've been exposed to enough of them to think that some of them would not be appropriate to bring to a place like the Wellness Shack. I was thinking about narcissism. Can you imagine a peer support group of all narcissists? I, I have a feeling that would not function. But So is there some line, uh, some discerning factor that says these people really could benefit from working with Wellness Shack and others wouldn't? These people mean in the psychotherapists? Or no, the, the, the people, people with certain diagnoses or certain dysfunctions or mm-hmm. certain problems, challenges, or quirks. Yeah. So is there anyone who would come to the door you just say, no, this isn't the place for you? Oh, no. I know most, 99% of the people who come through the door here, I don't know their diagnosis. That allows me to see the person and not be judging them because of what I know about diagnoses. Okay. The DM5, for example, if you're going to be diagnosed with depression, you have to be depressed for 30 days. What if I've been depressed for 29? Am I not depressed? (laughs) No. (laughs) So we look at what the person is struggling with and try to help them find a way to manage their struggles so that they can live a more productive life, more fulfilling life, rather than always running in against these obstacles and suffering consequences from them, how can we help you to manage your symptoms? One of the words I've seen on your website, Bob, and again, folks, we are speaking with Bob Schrader. He's director of the Wellness Shack in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He's also a certified peer specialist. We've got him here today for Spirit in Action to talk about one of the most important factors in healing people. One of the words you mentioned, and is mentioned on the website, is recovery. A lot of people don't think of things like depression or schizophrenia in terms of recovery. We're used to thinking of that in terms of substance abuse. Is recovery a valid term for a wide range of mental challenges? 
Recovery in relationship to a mental health disorder is not an absolute immediate absence of the symptoms, okay? The Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration describes recovery as being a process of change under which a person becomes more independent and an increase in their their self-esteem and their self-confidence. That's the same as in drug or alcohol recovery, only, you know, they've got 12 steps or they've got, you know, a certain process to go through. So mental health recovery, we're doing the same thing. We are, we're getting to a point where we can manage a condition that's not going to go away. One of our group's proactive recovery is a group that focuses on a book written by Kathleen Crowley, Using Procovery to Heal Mental Illness. Procovery was an acronym she created for proactive recovery. And the reason she created that was because with a mental illness, there's not really a point you can go back to to recover to because the condition is always going to stay with you. So proactive recovery becomes a process of learning how to focus forward with your condition, not reflecting back on all the terrible things that have happened and all the suffering that you've gone through, but to focus on what I can do now to move forward to a point where I can be more independent and live a life that is more fulfilling and satisfying, as I would describe it. Not as my parents would describe it, not as my siblings would describe it, not as society in general would describe it. Fulfilling as and satisfying as I would want it to be. Because an individual knows themselves the best of anybody, and they also know their limitations. And so sometimes the limitations set a boundary to if the person's going to remain healthy, they need to respect that boundary rather than trying to fulfill keeping up with the Joneses or fulfill the productive and efficiency influences that we get in our society today. And I'll use myself for an example. I used to to work in the architectural field for 12 years, and I would work 16 hours a day, five days a week, and then Saturday and Sunday, you know, put in seven or eight hours. And I could do that. When my depression took over, and I got back on track to healing, I've discovered that I can work 20 to 25 hours a week. But after 25 hours a week, everything starts becoming overwhelming to me. Not just the emotions, but the clerical stuff and the you know philosophical stuff. Everything becomes overwhelming to me, and I start to lose my function. Then I slowly digress back into a deeper depression. So part of my care plan is I have to be careful how much time I commit to a job. I'm part of a men's group, have been for more than 30 years, weekly. To some degree, I think that is peer support. In fact, that's how I met Jim and someone else who I just ran into in the office. So I think there's a lot of peer support that goes on in the world I'm wondering if peer support here is different. Is it because you've had training in a particular technique? Is it that technique that gets used here exclusively? Is there always one of your certified peer specialists who's in each group? 
Yeah, it's always a peer support specialist who's facilitating the group. And their job is to keep the group on topic and then also be able to interact with people depending on where they are, whether they get really emotional, you know, to, to be able to solve that or not solve it, but to be able to relate to that and not get scared. Are peer support specialists necessary in what the Wellness Shack does? The Wellness Shack was founded in 2004. I started in 2010. They didn't have any peer support specialists for those six years. The oh, first, really? For the first six years? For the they, first they six didn't. years, right. And now there's at least three of you, four of you, whatever. That are. Well, the, the first peer support specialists that were certified in the state of Wisconsin, two of them were from the Wellness Shack. Okay. So that didn't happen until 2010. And the primary purpose, I think, of the of the peer support specialists is that one, they can facilitate the meeting with a certain amount of confidence, but two, they give an example of what healthy recovery looks like just by being around, just by interacting with people. And the third thing is they teach the other members of the Wama Shack how to interact with another person. For some people, peer support doesn't come naturally. You know, they they can end up saying the worst thing. They don't mean it to say it that way. I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. I had a girlfriend once, and she said, Bob, think about what you just said. <laughs> you know, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, how, how do you become an effective listener, and how do you compassionately share with somebody without giving them advice? You know, without telling them what they should do. No, you know, I think better than half of the people who come in here off the street, they want someone to hear their story and they want their story validated. You know, yes, that would be terrible if that happened to me. Just so somebody else knows what they're going through. And folks, we're speaking with Bob Schrader. He is director of the Wellness Shack. As it states on their website, the mission of the Wellness Shack is to help any adult living with mental illness in the Eau Claire area achieve wellness, stability, and fullness of life. Their website, wellnessshack.org. This is Spirit in Action. Our website is northernspiritradio.org. On that site, you'll find all 17 years that we've been doing this program, all of our guests, and that's both for our Spirit in Action Song of the Soul program. You'll also find a place where you can post comments, and we'll help you connect up with the Wellness Shack or any of the other world healing workers that we connect with over these years. So please post a comment when you visit, and also there's a place to support us. You can donate under that, and you can make this happen, because we don't depend on government or corporations for our support. We depend upon our listeners. And right now, there's listeners not only online, which a lot of people connect directly via our website, but there's some 45 stations nationwide carrying our programs. Those community radio stations are so important because they care about the local group of people, the local community. So please support them with your hands, with your wallets, to make sure that they can continue to do their work. That comment that I just had about it being nationwide, I was wondering if the Wellness Act, you seem to have been a strong pioneer even in Wisconsin, so here in Eau Claire, there's been a special energy for the work of the Wellness Act. 
is there its equivalent everywhere, all these 45 different mm-hmm. stations where uh, this program is being broadcast? How widespread is this movement? Yeah. In Wisconsin, we're known as a peer-run center. There are 12 or 13 centers throughout Wisconsin. Ashland, Green Bay, Milwaukee has two or three, Madison, La Crosse, Oshkosh, Wausau, and here in Eau Claire, and some others. But then nationwide, there's hundreds. And so somebody, you know, listening to this in, in any state could research and find out where there's one in their area. Is there a national organization that you're connected with? No, there isn't. The philosophies, the programs that we work with mostly come out of substance abuse and mental health service administration. There is the empowerment center, but I'm not now I'm not sure if it was that place or another place that has a there used to be a clearinghouse, but it got it shut itself shut down one reason or another. So how do the finances work for something like the wellness shock? Is it self financed by the peers? Does it get help widely? And your board uh, again, I recognize a couple of people who are on the board. Do they all have to be pure people? Actually, our corporate bylaws mandate that 51% of the board has to be a person with lived experience dealing with mental illness. So we do have people on our board who don't have any background in mental illness. But we want 51% to be a consumer of mental health services because we always want the peers to have a voice in how the place is run. We don't want someone to come into the place and turn it into a clinical um, atmosphere where it's no longer personal and relaxing and sanctuary. You know, so we want the peers, the members to have the voice in how the place is run. I still have this question. You said, Bob, that when someone comes through the door, I mean, they, they come and they're self-selecting whether they arrive here. I suppose there's word of mouth that travels as well. But I can easily imagine that someone could walk through the door with a certain form of mental illness that would be very harmful to the groups and to the other peers here. How do you protect against that, or do you? It was a protection that we have in place that has worked really well for 10 years is something we call a sanctuary agreement. And we don't have rules on the walls of what people can and can't do. We have this agreement that everybody reads and signs, basically saying these are the elements we find to create sanctuary. And by signing this agreement, you agree to promote sanctuary here. Now, there becomes times when somebody, because of their condition, isn't quite able to meet the criteria of sanctuary. Well, then they're set down and talked to, trying to find a way that they can better fit in and where they can better meet the needs of the sanctuary, the needs of the safety for the other people. In 10 years, there's been some pretty out there people who have come in here, and the situation has always changed when somebody has sat down to listen to them. So they are responsive. So there is an effective alternative to saying, you're not welcome here. Right. Yeah. How can we help? Or what's going on right now? Two most important questions you can ask a person when they're going into an episode or when they're experiencing agitation or something. What's going on? How can I help? 
I'll tell you a story about it. Probably the most severe case in 10 years that I've ever been involved in. I go back to the meeting room to get a cup of coffee, and here's these three volunteers on one side of the table, and on the other side of the table is this guy who's pulling on his hair, ranting, doing a growling voice like if he's demonic or something. And these three people, volunteers, were scared to move. I said, dude, you sound like you're angry. <laughs> I am. What are you angry about? Well, it turns out he's an artist, and he had three personal works in his backpack. He was staying at the homeless shelter. Someone stole his three personal pieces of art that he valued the most in life when he had stolen. And he keeps ranting, and oh, that's a terrible thing to happen. You know, I'd be angry, too. Then he goes into this whole delusion of the order of the wolf, and I've got to get back to the rock. And it, okay, so I'm not familiar. I ask him, I'm not familiar with the order of the wolf. What's that? The wolf points their nose to the sky and howl because that's where the oxygen is, is it's up in the trees. And we've got to get up in the trees in the order of the wolf. Okay. And, you know, it's, it started making sense to me. And we, we start conversing about it. He starts calming down. And the next day, I'm outside on the sidewalk, and this person walks up to me who I don't recognize. He's got a nice sweater on. He's got this little hat, bulleter hat or whatever going on. And he says, oh, man, dude. And as soon as he talks, I realize... This is the guy I just talked to yesterday that was pulling out his hair. Total different person. He says, I just found out that there's a bus going to Denver. Somebody bought me a ticket for it. I need $10 to get from downtown Eau Claire to 94 to catch the bus to Denver. He lived in Denver. I got to get back to the rock. I got to get back to the boulder. It all made sense. Hmm. Yeah, it didn't, you know. The first thing somebody would have likely done is to panic, and, you know, which you know, a person in panic just accelerates the, the crisis. It's just how do you interact with, go into it with non-judgment and open-mindedness and care about the person. You know, that, that's all I did, and he came around. Yeah, I do understand completely how important that is. A lot of people don't. I'm Quaker religiously, and so how do you pursue peace? And it's usually not by arguing with someone. <laughs> it does require deep listening and deep mutual listening. Right. But the way you get there is by removing some of those boundaries. I also am not a person who believes in letting fear conduct my life. And... I'm still thinking that so much of our mental health system is obsessed with fear. And that's, you know, the fear that the therapist will do something wrong, will get sued, that someone will commit suicide. There's fear all over the place. Mm -hmm. One of the diagnoses out there, or one of the situations where people have tremendous trouble as someone like a sexual abuse survivor there are also the predators, as some people think of them, who have been sexual abusers. Mm -hmm. And our society says, 
if you've got that diagnosis, if, before you can move to a neighborhood, everybody in the, in the area has to be informed. So what happens if a sexual abuse survivor and a person who is trying to deal with their own abuse, the abuse that they did, walks through the door? Do you have to protect them against each other? Is that not... Maybe they just don't come here. I don't know. Oh, they do. There's two things that we keep an eye out for in everything we do uh, through the day is are those actions somebody who is selling and distributing drugs through the wellness shack and are those actions of a sexual predator and if it's to a specific person we'll try to separate them but then to start talking to the woman about boundaries and setting boundaries for a long time it was like we became known as the local dating service which was crazy because most of those guys I talked to right away said, not here, go somewhere else, and they did. Because they weren't looking for recovery from mental illness. They were looking for something else. When I say not here, they had no interest in the place anymore. If a person comes to us and says, you know, this person has made me feel uncomfortable, then again, we approach that. We talk about boundaries. We keep our eyes open. One of the things that's essential to me as the host for Spirit in Action are the spiritual overtones, mechanisms, the motivations that people have that connect them with us. And I believe the Wellness Shack is not at all religiously affiliated. But on the other hand, I think that wellness always connects with spirituality do you have anything you can say about that, how that incorporates with either yours or with the Wellness Shack's operation? Yeah, in every, spirituality is is a variable in every form of recovery or rehabilitation. There's always a sense of spirituality. And we have a broad range of peoples with different beliefs who come here, but they're all talking about the same thing. We're all searching for hope. You know, that's a spiritual element. What a person believes is the most powerful thing in their life, okay? Some might call that faith. You know, but if a person comes in, you know, believing that they're defective, they are going to be defective. How do you get them to change that belief? It's a gradual process, but you can get them to start seeing and opening their eyes. Compassion, you know, where does that come from? You don't buy it in a store and suddenly you're compassionate to everybody. No, but we teach it through example of how to socialize with other people, how to care about other people. So there are a lot of spiritual elements. We have Buddhists coming here. We have all forms of Christian religion coming here. We've even had Wiccan people come here. I had a personal interview with a Satanist <laughs> that scared the bejeebers out of me. But they all have, all religions have some essence of truth in them that we are all seeking. And when we can allow people to share those beliefs without introducing dogma or rules and regulations um, from specific churches, you can have amazing conversations. It sounds rich and probably means that more people get healed. 
Is there some way in keeping track of, I imagine, how many people are attending things weekly or have been participants of the Wellness Shack over the past years? Is there any way of getting some idea of the scope of the healing that you've been doing? Sure. In March of 2020, we shut down because of COVID. And it took us a couple of months, and we put our support groups online. We had 75 people in that year and last year attending the groups online. Prior to COVID, we had upwards of 350 individuals visiting the place more than 4,500 times in the course of a year. Different people. Different people, yeah. 350 different people. So not all of them found what they were looking for. Not all of them were looking for a long-term type of a relationship with us, but they came here and they got something from it that helped them to move on. I'm going to come back to something I said at the beginning. Our belief is that the need for mental health help has gone up in our society. Have you seen your numbers increase over the years in some way that could be attributed to that, that there's a greater need? I also imagine you're limited by resources. Yes, we are. No, our our numbers fluctuate between 250 and 350 people. But the, the thing that I'm hearing most from people is that we're in a professional, well, it, it's a crisis of access to professional help. Counselors are booked out for three or four months. Doctors, if you can find a psychiatrist, are booked out for months. You know, sometimes the hospitals in the behavioral health unit, the beds are all full. And they can't take anybody in. They have to be transported to La Crosse or to Mendota. So there's a crisis in the help that's available to people to be able to address their psychiatric concerns. We don't propose to be better than the medical tradition, but we are at least part of a solution for people who can't get any of that to find something else. You know, for me, one of the most gratifying things in this job, and and it's happened on four or five occasions when somebody walks up to me and says, you know, Bob, I'm alive today because of you. Then I know that I've I've done something right. <laughs> I just imagine that it's not an either or situation that people can see a therapist or other such professional help and be part of the wellness shack. Oh yeah, we we supplement the medical profession, and a lot of therapists refer their clients to come and, and see us because you know. <laughs> My depression episodes don't always wait for my scheduled appointment. <laughs> and so in the meantime, I need somebody, someplace I can go to where I feel safe and I can talk. And, you know, we're not afraid to ask the question, are you thinking about killing yourself? You know, that that's an important question. When it becomes, in your conversation with somebody, when it becomes obvious that they might be thinking about it, you're not going to harm them if you ask them, are you thinking about killing yourself? And then from there, you know, you can carry on a conversation. The way it worked for me, you know, I, I was having a really bad day, sitting in the rocking chair, and uh, this guy, you know, comes in. He was a volunteer there. He's now a good friend of mine. He says, hey, Bob, you don't look so well. He says, matter of fact, I'm not. Well, what's wrong? Matter of fact, I'm thinking about killing myself. 
<laughs> he says, Oops. Yeah. Oh, how would you do it? And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's not the correct response. What? So I told him, wow, I've never thought of that one, he says. And I was like, this is nuts, you know. And there's a, you know, about 30 seconds of silence. And then he says, more importantly, why would you want to kill yourself? And he helped me to realize in, in just that short conversation that I didn't want to end my life. I just didn't want to live like I was living anymore. And so, you know, it was through the process of the wellness shack, because I, I was brand new there. The process of the wellness shack drew me to this place where I could find a better way to live with my condition. I could manage it, you know, and... The rest is history. <laughs> you mentioned that the wellness shack, Bob, moved from where it was on Barstow. It had been there for a while, and it moved over to this area. This is the Dewey Executive Center. Has your cachet increased a lot by moving to the Executive <laughs> Center? Actually, when we moved into this new place, just the... It's a newer building than where we were before, but it has a certain feel about it that doesn't make us think we're second rate for where we were. We, we were like the low-end renters at the other place, whereas now, no, you know, we're a viable, realistic, professional kind of place. And, you know, it did have a positive impact on people because they felt better about coming here than they did to the other place. Well, I'm real glad that people have this resource. I, I recognize that no solution is effective for everyone. So I do know about men's group or 12-step groups or seeing a therapist or visiting the wellness shack, and that that can make all the difference between living a life fruitfully and having a dead end. So I thank you as director for the wellness shack and for your part in this, but I thank everyone whose heart is big enough to bring them through the door to help one another. Thanks so much for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you for having me. And again, folks, we have a link to wellnessshack.org on our site, northernspiritradio.org. Please remember to post a comment on the Northern Spirit Radio website when you visit. Search online for peer support for resources specific to your area and to help find support for whatever your mental health issue, challenge, or quirk is and to gather resources to function better in our world. I'll say goodbye for today's Spirit in Action by sharing a song from a recent Song of the Soul program with Emma G. The song Fighter is encouragement to someone in that struggle for self-acceptance, dealing with the pain and finding a way forward, which is what so many of the peer support folks at the Wellness Shack are doing right now. Here's Fighter by Emma G, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. that you held so long inside you. We could 
you feel it from the place within? Did you believe that hope again? So long inside you. Drags you down, so crying out. The universe holds you now, cause the strength inside of you. Ah, oh, the goddess shines inside you. If only you could see what I do, stars when you forgive you. Woman, you're a fighter, your light is shining brighter. Hold your head a little higher, stars when you forgive you. Woman, you're a fighter. Rushing out, your soul is glowing. With every tear you heal a broken wound, it's okay to love the hurt and gloom. But your soul is growing. Cause the pain that drags you down won't always be around. The universe holds you now, and the strength inside of you. Oh, the goddess shines inside you. If only you could see what I do Stars when you forgive you Woman, you're a fighter Your light is shining brighter Just hold your head a little higher Stars when you forgive you Woman, you're a fighter Cause the pain that once was yours You can love at least an out the door It doesn't serve you anymore You can only get stronger Oh, the goddess shines The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. Our lives will feel the echo of our healing.